Hello, holiday lovers. Welcome back to another episode of Holidays After Dark, the podcast that celebrates the holidays we all know and love, but with a dark twist. Easter is coming up this Sunday, so I hope you've dyed some eggs, bought some carrots to leave out for the Easter bunny, and haven't eaten too much candy yet. Around Easter time, I always seem to crave all things white chocolate. I've always had a white chocolate obsession. I think I may like it even more than milk chocolate, and definitely more than the dark stuff. It's just so light and refreshing to me. I love munching on a white chocolate bunny, starting with the ears first, of course. One candy that just came to mind that I used to find around Easter but haven't seen in a while are limited edition white chocolate M&Ms. They came in festive pastel colors and were slightly bigger than your average M&M. They were delicious, and I need to see if they still exist. In the last episode, I mentioned the Christian side of Easter, mainly focusing on the resurrection of Jesus, but... It turns out there is another element to this story that a friend of mine, who is a loyal listener of the show, brought to my attention, and it pretty much involves zombies. A portion of the Gospel Matthew in the Bible goes like this. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split, and the tombs broke open. The bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. They came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many people. But what do Christians mean by this exactly? This resurrection of several believers was one of the events said to accompany the resurrection of Jesus Christ to underscore that monumental event. They claim the saints came back to physical life. In the Bible, the word saints means those who are sanctified or set apart as holy, meaning all of God's true followers. After God supposedly brought the people mentioned back to life, it is believed that they undoubtedly went back to their homes, where many acquaintances saw them. Can you imagine how utterly startling such an experience would be for their relatives and friends? You're just chilling at home, mourning the passing of your loved one, and suddenly they're knocking on your front door again. The Bible says nothing further about these people it claims God resurrected at Christ's death, leaving believers to conclude that they eventually died again, and their families buried them, again. Along with all other saints who died, they awaited in their graves for their resurrection to spirit life. So, why was this written in the Bible? What is the reason for this supposed occurrence? What exactly did the people who were brought back to life look like? Did they appear as their normal pre-death selves, Or did it look like an episode of The Walking Dead? The Gospel doesn't go into any of this in depth, leaving a lot of confusion over the years that has been debated among scholars of religion. All I know is this sounds like a great example of a zombie origin story, and definitely puts the after-dark element in the Christian celebration of Easter. Easter.
Typically, we think of Easter as a day to spend with family and loved ones. We come together over food, candy, and treats on what we hope is a beautiful spring day. But this isn't the case for every family's Easter. Dana James Yule was born on January 28, 1971, and was the younger of two children to Glee and Dale Yule. He had an older sister named Tiffany, who was born in 1967. Dale Yule was a United States Air Force veteran turned multi-millionaire businessman who specialized in the sale of small airplanes with his company, Western Piper Sales Incorporated. Glee Yule had devoted much of her life to philanthropy and public service, briefly acting as a Spanish translator for the CIA in the 1950s, and later holding a seat at the State Bar of California Committee, which evaluated prospective judges. Dana Yule graduated from San Joaquin Memorial High School, located in Fresno, California, in 1989. Dana then went on to earn a finance degree from Santa Clara University. Dana's parents had substantial investments in the stock market and local farmland. His father's success allowed the Yules a comfortable family home in Sunnyside, California, a beach house, luxury vehicles, and designer clothing, although it has been said that they didn't really flaunt their wealth unnecessarily. During Dana's time at college, he attributed his father's accomplishments to himself and posed as a wealthy entrepreneur when he actually had no such experience. A Santa Clara newspaper and the University of Santa Clara's yearbook both printed stories on Yule in 1990, depicting him as a self-made millionaire who was enjoying the luxuries afforded by his non-existent business success. When his parents learned of his lies and deception regarding how he had been representing himself, they modified their estate plan. Extended family members were under the impression that Dale planned to stop financially supporting his son once he graduated from college. It seems that Dana was very unhappy about his father's decision to cut him off financially. On the ill-fated Easter Sunday, Glee and Tiffany Yule drove from their beach house, where they had stayed with the whole family for the earlier part of the weekend, back to the family home in Sunnyside. Dale flew one of his planes back to Sunnyside to get home to his wife and daughter. Little did they know, someone was waiting for them when they arrived home. The first to arrive, Glee and Tiffany were both executed as soon as they entered the family home. The same fate played out for Dale as soon as he arrived. Two days later, the bodies of all three Yules were discovered by a maid, the scene was bloody, but noticeably the blood was dry, tipping the police off that the killings had occurred at least a couple days ago. It was obvious that the killings weren't the result of a burglary, as nothing with substantial value was missing. No fingerprints of interest were found and no real witnesses were located. The only thing neighbors reported that seemed out of the ordinary was that they had heard what they described as a clinking sound a few times that Sunday. It would later be determined that the murder weapon was a gun with a silencer attached to it, which likely caused the muted sound the neighbors heard. 
the police felt strongly that these were targeted murders. When the police contacted Dana to inform him of his family's passing, he reportedly had no emotional reaction. The same went for the funeral. There was no sadness to be seen coming from Dana. This, in addition to the fact that the murders appeared targeted, led police to suspect Dana from the beginning. However, Dana claimed to have an airtight alibi, stating he was with his girlfriend the day the murders occurred. Adding to his suspicious behavior, Dana had an emotional outburst of anger and outrage when, at the reading of his parents' will, he learned he would have to wait several years before he was eligible to inherit their fortune. Initially, police also wondered if the murders could have been some sort of revenge taken by someone Dale Yule had previously done business with. Reportedly, he had engaged in some shady business dealings, to include selling airplanes to a known drug smuggler and a failed real estate development that had cost investors millions. But this theory was disproven relatively quickly during the investigation. After his family's death, Dana formed a quick habit of blowing a lot of money and took up the expensive hobby of learning how to fly helicopters. He also developed an oddly close friendship with a guy named Joel Radovich, who he had met at college. Joel abruptly dropped out of school after the murders and quickly fell under suspicion by the police. He reportedly had an obsession with guns and explosives. Dana and Joel attracted additional suspicion when they began living in the Yule family home a few short weeks after the murders. I don't think your average innocent person who had just had their entire family savagely murdered at the family home would then want to occupy said home where this tragic event occurred. But to each their own, I guess. The police kept Dana and Joel under close surveillance for several months, during the course of which it was determined that the two men communicated via a complex system of pagers and payphones, which appeared to be an attempt to avoid being overheard. In May 1993, an undercover detective wearing a recording device stood close to a phone booth Joel was making a phone call in. The detective overheard Joel saying things like, They don't have any evidence. They will try to catch you in a lie. Forensic analysis determined that the murder weapon was a high-end 9mm specialty rifle manufactured by Feather Industries in Trinidad, Colorado. Company records showed that this kind of rifle was purchased by a friend of Joel's family, Ernest Jack Ponce, shortly before the murders. Ponce later admitted to buying the gun for Joel, but said he had no idea the plan was to use it to commit the murders. By this time, the police felt they had gathered enough evidence to arrest Joel and Dana for the murder of Dana's family. They were arrested and charged with three counts of first-degree murder each on March 2, 1995. Ponce was also arrested for being an accessory to the crime, but was granted immunity from prosecution after he agreed to testify against Dana and Joel. The jury trial of Dana and Joel lasted over eight months. Prosecutors argued that Dana was motivated by wealth and stopped at nothing to obtain it, even if it meant killing his entire family in the process. 
They believe Joel was promised a share of the Ewell family fortune for helping Dana commit the murders by being the one to actually pull the trigger. Jurors deliberated for 11 days before eventually finding Dana and Joel guilty on all counts. Both men were subject to the strictest sentencing guidelines due to aggravated circumstances of the crime, including multiple victims, murder for profit, and the fact that they had laid in wait for the family to arrive home. Although they could have both received the death penalty, they avoided that fate and were each sentenced to life without the possibility of parole. All subsequent appeals have been denied. To this day, Dana is incarcerated at California State Prison Corcoran, the same prison that once housed Charles Manson. During my research, I found Dana on a prisoner pen pal's website, where he speaks of his finance degree and deep devotion to his religious beliefs. Joel was sent to Mule Creek State Prison, about two hours south of San Francisco, where he remains to this day. Based on my research, it appears the family home in which the Yules were murdered is still standing and occupied by the current owner. The home appears on a number of creepy location and famous murder house type websites. I suppose for true crime lovers, living there would either be intriguing or absolutely horrifying. I don't think I would want to move into a house with that kind of energy hanging around. For their remembrance, Dale, Glee, and Tiffany Yule are buried at the same plot, with a headstone that depicts their names and the inscription, Together Forever. Thanks so much to dedicated listener Dave from California for sending in this true tale of Easter horror. Let's keep these listener recommendations coming. Message me your ideas on any of the Holidays After Dark social media pages or email Kristen at HolidaysAfterDark.com. Also, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you never miss your dose of holiday darkness. A rate or review would also be greatly appreciated. Five stars and a review on any podcasting platform helps people find Holidays After Dark more easily and makes our holiday celebrations even bigger. Special thanks to my sister Ashley for producing and editing the podcast. After all the talk about a terrible Easter tragedy, today I will leave you with a quote from American humorist Evan Easer to lighten things up a bit. Easter is the only time when it's perfectly safe to put all your eggs in one basket.